Welcome to the Freedom Fridays podcast with me, your host, Pete Clark, the Whispers Guy. Work seems to expand to the time that we give it. And I've been investing my time, occasionally on a Friday, to explore how we use our time, our energy, our attention, and the impact it has on our identity. I've been exploring over season one, some of the mindset shifts in the handcuffs of I have to, to the freedom of I choose to. And I've shared some conversations, some tips, some tools about how you might want to invest your own time, your own energy, your own attention, how you might want to, if you choose to, make some changes to your identity, how you might have freedom from I have to and design a life around I choose to. If that's of interest to you, then this is the podcast for you. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of the Freedom Fridays podcast, where my guest is a fellow Brit who we began our relationship as colleagues. We become mates and kind of buddies in some sort of way, shape or form. And Jane, Jane Atherton, who's my guest today, is a, an entrepreneur. She is a business owner, a founder of Om Phoenix. Um, she is a, a mindset consciousness. Uh, I was going to say guru, but I don't think we like the word guru, so I won't call you a guru. Not yet. Not yet. Um, and single <laughs> mum. So, Jane, well, welcome to the conversation. Thank you, Pete. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, Jane, we start this by asking a very generic and big question. Uh, so that's how I'll start today. With the work that you do, with the clients that you're speaking to, with what you're observing in humanity, what do you observe people are seeking freedom from? Fear. Oh, right. Okay. Podcast over. <laughs> Done. Going to get straight right. in there today. <laughs> All right. Could you expand a little? <laughs> that is fearful stop yeah. um i believe with the, the the thousands of business professionals i've worked with over the years now that um humanity is operating from a level of fear mm -hmm. and whether that's conscious or unconscious yeah. and i believe um we are looking at strategies or ways anyways to be free from that, to be free from, from that fear, even though we often don't even know what we're doing, mm. don't even know that we're coming from fear or want freedom from fear. Mm. But I believe a lot of the time, most of the time, I'd, I'd say, that's what people are wanting freedom from. Okay. Is there any security in fear? It probably keeps us in our comfort zones. If you're afraid of really shining or if you're the other way have fear of not being good enough mm. perhaps there's some security in well i'll, I'll stay here because it's like a, a useful excuse perhaps mm. perhaps not to to really step up and blaze with authenticity mm. Mm. And, and when do you think we develop it obviously you could argue we're born the reason we're still here depending on who you read thousands and thousands of years later is because we've avoided the dangerous things. For the adults and the, the executives that you work with, where do they develop it from? Right. I think there's a couple of ways of looking at it. Because I, I hear what you say with we've evolved over however long. And I think some of the fears inbuilt are necessary or used to be necessary for survival, right? It's the old fight or flight. Yeah. Those systems were absolutely required back in the day, back in um, you know, the prehistoric saber-toothed tigers coming. Great to have that fit in order to survive. Mm. Um, so I think we come in naturally and built with this, with this system, this survival system yep. that is a bit, it's a bit outdated or not always necessary now. But then I think um, the other fear, that, the other fear meaning the less useful or limiting belief or limiting perspective fear. Some say that's through, well, there's the whole debate nature nurture with, does that come through conditioning? Does that come through the mm. environment we've been raised in? Uh, there's other perspectives <clears throat> from more of a spiritual point of view that we can bring in fear with us as well. We bring uh -huh. it in. 
yeah, from, I'm about to talk about incarnation, so I'm going to pause on it. Incarnations. <laughs> Maybe we'll loop back around to that. Maybe we'll come back to that. Bring, one. You can bring that one in. Um, but I believe that fear can come with us <laughs> from other other places and times as well. Yeah. Well, and when when you say some of our fears are outdated, um, I, I get what you're saying. I think I get what you're saying. Where you know. And the saber-toothed tiger gets a bad rap over the years, by the way. Oh, really? It's, well, it's always the one that's quoted. Is it? <laughs> not, not, the, not the woolly mammoth. <laughs> not the woolly mammoth or the boa constrictor, whatever it is, but the saber-toothed tiger yeah. gets a bad rap. And, uh, you know, everyone can sense that. Um, and you said they're outdated. And in some ways, uh, you know, in those times, it was preventing us from a, a perceived you know, death, <laughs> mauling by the saber-toothed tiger. <laughs> Which, again, you could argue to some extent was probably more true than not because that was the, you know, the circle of life, all that sort of stuff. I, and you say they're outdated. What if I was to be a sceptic and say, yeah, but if I don't get my performance review correct or if I make that comment, the press will jump on it and I will be perhaps even worse than dead because I'll be shamed, I'll be judged, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Mm. Can you share a view on that? I can. I have a split view. One is, and I, I hear what you're saying, and, and I think a lot of people agree with that. If I'm not motivated by fear, I probably won't work as hard. If I'm not, you can maybe hear a little bit of banging as well. There's a bit of uh, work going on upstairs, which is, is helping that, is us. Is that the guru tapping in? It's the guru tapping in and helping us drill down deeper, I think, into, yeah. into the, the conversation. Um, <clears throat> it's what are we motivated by, right? And I think in our society, it has been the norm, particularly in the workplace. If, I'm, if I don't have fear or if my team don't have a little bit of fear, will they work as hard? Um, if they're not coming from some fear of failure, would they pick up the phone and try and get those new clients? Um, and I think where we're heading towards ideally, or an aspiration in fact, could be what if the motivation was a towards moving, as in um, moving towards the fulfillment of doing something really well, rather than the fear of failing in order to do it. Um, and also, from a neuroscience perspective, looking at the workplace and performance, if we're driven or motivated by fear, it's different chemicals in the brain. So we're less likely to be as effective because if there's too much cortisol or adrenaline, which goes back to that fight or flight motivation, the prefrontal cortex typically doesn't ignite as much. And that's, I'm simplifying something that's quite complex here, but that's where our strategic thinking, innovative thinking, creative thinking comes from. And this is where this sort of burnout culture and overwhelm of I'm so busy all the time and reactive all the time, vast majority of clients that we work with, that's what we're hearing. And I just wonder though, if we turned off the cortisol tap and didn't come from fear, what could be created instead? And is, is that working smarter rather than harder sort of thing? Mm. But I don't think we can do our best work if we come from fear. Are there some instances where it's useful? Yeah, like I might prep more if I'm a bit anxious about the keynote I'm doing next week. But if that's my primary motivator, I'll be so anxious in prepping it, I won't think of the best ideas. So a little bit of healthy well, it's cortisol, adrenaline, a little bit of healthy fear, fine, but not if that's the key, the key thing that's running the show. And how would I make the distinction if, you know, you and I have both been involved and immersed in this work for a while. We may or may not have different levels of awareness compared to someone in the public. So um, someone in the public, not really that interested, come across a couple of names, read a couple of books. How would I know? how much fear is healthy versus not? Yeah, great question. Um, a few things went in my mind at once there. I think one is look at your outputs. 
and what's the energy behind it? So I think the example I just gave, if prepping for a keynote or you've got a big presentation to make in front of your team and there's some senior people, is there that healthy fear that's propelling you to do it um, when you could procrastinate or do something else? Or is there so much of the fear that it's distracting you? So I think you'd look at what are the behaviours. If there's too much distraction, procrastination perhaps, um, it will get in the way. Too much fear will get in the way is probably my point. Whereas a little bit of fear might propel you on. I think that's how I'd simplify the distinction. And I get the distinction. I'm just I'm curious as to how someone would know. And is yeah. it switch off a bull? My understanding is once it's switched, once you've got the cortisol and the adrenaline going in your system, you can't like a tap just suddenly go, hang on, just stop for a second. <laughs> Not exactly. It takes a little while to run through the system. Yeah, it yeah, takes yeah. a little while. So once it's, <laughs> yeah. once it's released, once it kicks in, yeah. what then? What that, well, number one is awareness. And always say, at least if you're aware of, oh, I'm feeling a bit anxious here. I'm, oh, my stress has gotten too much. Number one is to acknowledge that, I believe, then brings your power back. I think if you're not aware of it, but you're just reacting and we often don't complete one thing and start another if we're in this distracted fear state. So number one, to acknowledge it. Um, and then you can choose to try to do a few bits about it, if you like, like you, you and I know with, yes, once it's in the system, it's there, but you can help it through, you, know, you take a breath. Like if you slow the breathing, you send a message to your nervous system that you're safe psychologically, so that saber-toothed tiger is attacking, you ain't breathing slow. <laughs> so you're at least saying, I know that the chemicals are in my system, but I'm counteracting them. You're taking a few breaths in an attempt <laughs> to, to help those, those hormones and chemicals that are flooded through, um, which I find does help, even though I'm like, oh no, my heart rate is up a little. If I do slow the breath you know, before that Teams call or Zoom call, mm. it can still help for the focus and to get the best behaviors, to get the best outcome as well. And how long have you been, I guess it's always a practice, how long have you been practicing that? Hmm. Over, over a decade, 12 years. So the average person on the street, how long would it take? <laughs> or, or is it the sort of thing that they could do as a one-off? Yep, that worked, move on. Or does it have to be a practice? There has to be something they do regularly. I think to catch it, to make it a, a habit, um, regular will just make it more useful, particularly when it's something that's really got you. Like, um, what's an example? Like even disappointing news. You know, a few months ago, we had really disappointing news about a, a prospect client. We thought it was going ahead, big international situation. Yep. Got the email in the inbox because of a procurement issue. <laughs> My favorite stuff. Our favorite. My <laughs> favorite. Um, they couldn't go ahead with On Phoenix. And I felt this, whoom. I mean, that's more of a disappointment than a fear. I mean, probably was fear of rejection or failure in there as well. But this sort of, for me now, in because of the years of doing it, it helped with that situation, the instantaneous, really aware of how I felt disappointed, embarrassed, uh, rejected, etc. And even naming it or talking with my colleagues about it helped it to start to elevate and decrease. And um, but to your question, can you do it as a one off or as over time? I think you can do both for those who haven't really done much of this before. Yeah. It's a brilliant 101 entry point just to how am I feeling? If it's uncomfortable, probably breathe a bit more deeply and <laughs> just try a few conscious breaths. Um, if you like that, if that feels good, do it, do it more often and, and just to see what happens. That'd be my suggestion until it becomes like an autopilot response to reactions. Mm. Um, is it okay to forget to do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> of course it's okay. Is it okay to lose your shit a little bit now and again? Is that okay? Oh, I always lose my shit. Oh, I, I, I feel my feelings, Pete. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I'm a big advocate. And as I, my five-year-old knows, um, <laughs> mummy feels lots of feelings, including like grumpy mummy. Right. Um, 
So I think there can be misunderstanding with the mindset stuff with let's be positive. And I, I just don't even like that word. Um, I think it's been overused. There can be uses for it to have a more positive perspective, but not at the um, sort of cut. Uh, what's the word? Don't be positive rather than feeling your feelings. I, I believe and there's research around this with the body mind connection. If you repress that bit of rage or upset and pretend you're okay, mm. that can have long term impacts on your immune system, actually. Um, so yes, I think it's healthy to lose your shit just in the right direction. Just not your child. Um, maybe not road rage. Maybe a, <laughs> I'm a fan of a, you know, get a get a pillow, hit the wall. I love doing that. Right. Punch a mattress. Have you ever tried that? No. <laughs> Is that not a normal? That's <laughs> not a normal Pete Clark thing that I would do. No, no, never punch a mattress. Great. Next time you're really angry, but you don't want to throw it at anybody. Yeah. Just punch your mattress. It's great. Here's, here's a random thought then. I, I'm, forgive me if you don't, you're not aware of this. I'm sure you would. You know, there's a, there's an old 90s book called uh, The Five Love Languages. Yes. Right. And how we express our connection and love to other people. What, are you aware? Are there five anger expressing languages? You know, is, is there different ways to, is there healthy ways and, and unhealthy ways to express the feeling of anger or, what you know, whatever it is? Do, do, do you get the idea? Is there, is there five practical hacks to, right, one, punch the mattress, two, take a pillow, bury your head in the pillow, you know? <laughs> Are you aware of any kind of simple hacks to express, but express in a healthy way? Yep. I love it. it's like the opposite, like five love love languages, five anger anger languages, or five yeah. anger expressions. So yes, yeah, so there's the physical side, right? So that might be um, punching something or just moving, go for a run if that's your or a brisk walk. Um, number one, I think, because physically it helps to move it through. Um, number two, linked but different, I think, is are there any songs if you're quite auditory and you like music? Are there songs that help you usually with a heavy guitar or bass or something that helps you get it out would include that in the movement that that can help trigger as well. Mm. If there's a more ref sort of reflective anger, if that's possible, I don't know if you use reflective anger in a sentence before writing a letter that you never send. <laughs> Or an email, don't send it, and you you get it all out the system, mm. um, and it really helps with. You don't want to sweep resentment or bitterness under the carpet, particularly if it's a person that's triggered you. It just it can fester so much, and um, we never really let it go sometimes. Mm -hmm. So to write the letter is to get it out the system. I've gone through a paper because my pen's been so pressed into it, like you in whatever, whatever, because yeah. you can just get it out. Um, that's three. We've done for five, weren't we? Oh, there might not be five. <laughs> speculative. I have no idea. My top, five or... top three. Top three. And may, look, maybe um, be a bit careful depending on levels of anger or rage, but I think if you can share with someone that can help, I think, but uh, you'd watch that one not to go to anyone really because um, that can be quite burdensome on them. Mm. But if there's someone you know is quite good with with handling um, energy or handling a strong emotion, you could go for a vent as long as they don't mind. Okay. That'd be my four. Okay, cool. Thank you. You got that, that's your book title. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, one of the, um, I'm just looking for it on my shelf, so I can't see it immediately. Um, but it's a book by uh, Pippa Grange, who I, I don't know if you're aware. She she might even be in Qatar at the moment. She is the, one of the psychs that helped the English football team with their penalty-taking strategies. Um, that's kind of one of her claims to fame. And one of the books that she's written is called Fearless. So not fearless, so not the absence of fear, mm -hmm. but to dilute it and not be driven by it and to fear less. How does that tie into what you're suggesting that people are seeking freedom from? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's not about having no fear. I don't think it's the absence of fear. I don't think that's necessarily possible. Um, 
Is it fearing less? I think possibly fearing less. Thinking of my own journey and the sort of the clients I've worked with, where what has happened is they've become more empowered, more comfortable in their own skin, mm. Mm. less anxious. Has there been a decreasing of fear? P possibly. Um, and I think it goes back to that the 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 awareness bit actually is what I'm reflecting on. It's in order to fear less. I think you get on top of your fear a bit quicker. By get on top of, I mean be more aware of again. So it's that, oh, oof, I'm feeling a bit nervous or anxious before this call, before this negotiation, before this coaching session, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And even, I think you could become more fearless. I think it shrinks more as soon as you're even aware of it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I do agree with that premise. I haven't read her book and I'd love to because I think the psychology of the England football team is very fascinating yeah. and topical. Yeah, well, we're recording this during the, the World Cup in 22, so it is kind of topical. Um, mm -hmm. At the start, you know, the, the big question, seeking freedom from, and you came out immediately with, you know, one word, fear. Um, if that's what people are seeking freedom from, what are they heading to? Or is it purely an avoidance of fear? And I don't really care where the destination is, just not fear. Mm. I think for a lot of people, possibly the latter, but, I, but to take a more optimistic perspective, <clears throat> and I'm going higher level spirituality here, Pete, but what are we really seeking is, I believe, um, I'm open a can of worms, I think, is that unity um, and oneness is the actual goal, knowing that, and I also think what are we seeking freedom from is separation. Um, now, I understand this at a, oh, like quite a nebulous, when I meditate, I get sort of a sense of this. I don't know if I can explain it in a way that would be practical. But ultimately, I believe seeking freedom from separation towards unity, towards oneness. <clears throat> can you go double click on that a little bit? Give us the... the... The, the layman's explanation what it what does that mean and, and explain it in a way because <laughs> I, I again I'm no expert and I kind of get the idea but it's very hard I think for someone who hasn't been immersed in what you and I have been immersed in over the years yeah even consider the concept of oneness yeah when you know we're, we're two separate people like we're, living looks two like. separate, we're living in two separate countries you know, I've got a thousand books behind me. They're all different books. I can't mm. put all the books into this. You know, I, I can't merge with this bottle of water I've got. And, you know, if, if we were one, then why do we need Zoom? And I'm being sceptical, obviously. Yeah, well, well, exactly. That's it. It looks like in the physical dimension, and I'll explain yeah. what I mean by that in a second. Yeah. You're over there in Australia. I'm over here in the UK. Yeah. What's one that's got to do with anything? Mm -hmm. And um, can I do layman's terms? I'm not sure. <laughs> like, do I, how do I do layman's terms on unity consciousness? Um, how do I best describe it? Mm, well, even if I, let me go back to see if, as I explain this example, see if it clarifies things or leads to another example. Like if I've gotten stuck with not knowing what to do about a situation, so I've got a, a, a business problem and I don't know what to do about it. <clears throat> if I think me by myself is sat here trying to figure it out and it's just my brain and my mind and it's feeling a bit stuck and I don't know how to find a solution. If I do one of my meditative practices and sit, always breathe first. So it's the, it links back into state awareness, breathe, calm the, the, the neuro, the brain chemistry. <clears throat> and what I find I do is if I can, <laughs> this isn't going to be simple either, but as I breathe, I open up my consciousness. Einstein described it as genius consciousness, that what if we were more than just this physical thing? What if we had access to our like wise self or higher self? Some people say soul self. <clears throat> <clears throat> and I don't believe you need to have any kind of religious beliefs for this. Mm -hmm. 
I know friends who are quite scientific who like this from the quantum physics perspective. Mm. And that I find if I get out of my own head, take a few breaths and intend to connect with genius consciousness, it's like you can tap into what's out there in more of like the unity consciousness, it can be called, or some people call it source energy, where um, it's beyond your own mind, really. And I find that's how I run my business, actually, is by on a Monday morning, I did it briefly this morning, is to sit and connect, get out of my own head and allow for the unity I have with the universe, the divine, whatever terminology that people feel most comfortable with. Then that's when wisdom can come in or ideas about different problems I've had that solution can come. Mm. I'll just pause on that one. Is that, is that, how's that landing? Um, well, again, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm asking the question from a perspective of people that wouldn't understand. And again, I'm not, I don't necessarily understand all of that, but again, I have no issue with think, believing the possibility. I'm just mm. wondering how you'd explain it to someone that, you know, the physical realm is the only realm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was Steve Jobs who said he got his best business ideas in an ashram in India because it was beyond just the physical. Right. And what he meant by beyond the physical was, and dimensions just mean, what do dimensions mean? Like, um, well, there's physical dimension, then there's the mental dimension of the mind, then there's the emotional dimension. And it's just tuning in to more wisdom than we have. And um I find whenever that happens, that's where like, my whole business arose from trying to find some peace while well, I had Leo as a one-year-old meditating and breathing and just um, doing different sort of visualization exercises. And then these ideas, it, it felt like they came in rather than me forcing them or coming up with them just by myself. It was more of a being receptive right. to something bigger than my own physical being, my brain. Right. And that's why I've continued to run the whole business. Hmm. So is it's that, like... Is that, um, uh, I think it's the, it's what's called the hundredth monkey effect. Are you familiar with that? I have heard this, not for years. Remind me of... It's, I think it's, the, I don't know if it's actually monkeys. Um, the example I remember hearing about is, you know, we both grew up in the UK um probably far before any of us were born i can't remember um, when milk was delivered to doorsteps um it used to have uh, no tops it was like milk free to the air and obviously all the birds would recognize that they'd come and pet and you know drink the milk and then when uh, some bright spark decided to put silver tops of foil over the top of the milk to keep it fresher etc cetera, etc cetera, at the start the birds didn't know what to do until some bird accidentally or consciously tapped through the silver foil and then started eating the, and drinking the milk again. And that spread really quickly across different migrating mm -hmm. birds across many countries without an email or a PowerPoint deck <laughs> or, you know, some sort of media broadcast. And so the hundredth monkey um effect is that phenomenon that seems to happen sometimes when something's communicated something's learned something's heard across more than just the physical realm without there being any physical mm -hmm. necessarily communication about it yeah yeah exactly and i'm going to use that story moving forward to explain this and um it's like if anyone's ever had that thing if you um think about calling someone you look at the phone and they text you or they've called you. It's um, I've had friends of mine overseas that we've had similar ideas about uh, business problems or challenges. We haven't communicated it yet. Then we've realized there's been something, something that we've shared in consciousness, particularly with people you're close with. And I find even with say that just football for a quick context with high performing teams, whether business or sport or other, there is some kind of unspoken unity where you see Harry Kane, the England's captain, kick that ball. He doesn't even look up. And yes, there's been practice and practice and practice. But watch, I was watching them yesterday on the, on the TV and I'm, 
that there's almost an intuitive connection and bond they've now formed that for me is also about this interconnectedness oneness that there's such closeness and I, I was watching it thinking this is what all teams any high performing team in any industry um that's specific with their drills and such but i think there's equivalence that can be made there with how they interact and there's that clear alignment of where they're heading but there seems a real heart base with them as well like there's this heart connection that seems to enable them to really think intuitively what the other's doing sense of the unity in a team and how it can be used and i was thinking i need to talk to some of my clients about this because they're not operating like that. <laughs> i think it'd be really useful if they were more aligned and more unified like that to score goals quote unquote um i'm a little bit distracted you apologize i'm looking for an image um because I, I can't remember what it's called um but it's something like <laughs> forest of trees or something and it's an image that uh, are you familiar with it mm -mm. and it's the image that or the idea that all trees are connected right not above the surface because obviously they're not you know in different the same forest they might be but not in different forests but under the ground because of the root system and the the chemicals and all the sort of bits of trail you know all the trees are connected underground mm. is that similar yeah. it is yeah there's um, a framework called the V diagram that has it like the other way. So if the roots are down down here, it's that each individual person is like a V shape. So you have the physicals, the tip, and that's the bit we associate with the most. It's mm -hmm. Pete sat over there, I'm sat here. Uh, then the, of the V diagram, the next level up is the sort of mental, well, that's the thoughts, the beliefs that are all in there. Above that's then the emotional all our emotions, all our feeling states, and that can be old stuff that we don't even know is in there. The one above that, so it's, it's shaped like a kind of Toblerone, you know, a Toblerone with an upside down yeah. Toblerone. So it's yeah. V and then out. The idea is we're all these Toblerones, so we're all Vs. So whereas the roots of a tree all connect underneath, we all connect from the top. Mm -hmm. And at the top, it's called the void or the quantum. And uh, it's that way around of how we're all connected. So every thought that goes up is into the, the quantum or into collective consciousness, which basically means we all share a similar thing um, and it all influences it. So I've heard um, like meditation teachers talk about what's in the collective, what's in the collective mindset of society, i.e. a lot of fear about um, cost of living crisis, right? So if everyone's having fear, yep. it's really hard not to feel fear because it's in the sort of collective mindset. And so how to do practices not to buy into or be completely influenced by what's happening in the collective mindset, because it can really impact your own mindset, your own feelings. Um, so it's like the inverse example of what you shared with the trees. Uh, and I'm going to I'm going to be really judgmental here on, on some words. So if that's the case, if the if the collective consciousness is feeling fear, for example, the cost of living crisis, how does one live a normal life then? Normal. That, that, that's the judgment, right? That's the judgment word. <laughs> well, normal is to, currently, normal is to feel what everyone else is feeling. Yeah. So it's more how to live an abnormal life, to um, cut from the energy. <clears throat> and this is getting into the realms of uh, <laughs> etheric chords and um, how to keep your energy field clean. So you have to even buy into the concept of having an energy field. Mm -hmm. Just to speak plainly, um, there are processes from the worlds of Eastern philosophy and neuroscience where you can, you sort of, um, you have to do this regularly to detach and to cut from um, the collective mindset. Mm -hmm. um, if you're living by the ocean, as I know uh, yourself are, get in salt water, it just pulls out a lot of the negativity from yep. um from the from the physical body but also the other dimensions as well mm. so it's it's what i'm interested in is living a abnormal life and not buying into the usually the mindset or fears that seems to be quite present in society mm. and so I'll, I'll claim this too despite what i know and have been immersed in for 
long time. Um, what are you still fearful of? Oh, so many things, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what specifically? <laughs> mm, I'm trying to pick one. I'm like, which one should I pick? Um, I think whilst I'm, I'm choosing one, what's got a good story around it, um, I, I'm, I'm more fearless than I've ever been mm -hmm. um, because of all of this. And which fear would I pick? Imposter's pretty good these days, so not fear of not being good enough. Yeah. Failure. That seems pretty universal. So I, 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 <clears throat> we can just part there for a second. So what's the, what you... And I, I'm asking you to speculate for, for those that might be listening because they might be interested. What's the difference between your fear of not being good enough versus someone else's fear of not being good enough who might not know what you know or have been immersed in what you've been immersed in? How, how is it different? Ask that question again. My perspective or someone else's perspective about fear of not so being good imagine, enough. Imagine two people. One, Jane, who's got a fear of not being good enough, but she's been immersed in studying it, understanding imposter syndrome, understanding... Yep. <clears throat> aerial cords etc etc but she still fears not being good enough versus mm -hmm. you know joe public on the street georgian public on the street they're fearing not being good enough yeah. how, how is your yes. fear of not being good enough different to their fear of not being good enough a very clear answer to this joe public thinks it's the truth they don't know it's a belief whereas i know now after the oh it's this again oh it's this again because it washes up again at a higher level every time mm -hmm. Oh, it's my fear of not being good enough showing up again. Oh, I must have evolved. Oh, it's because I'm now a leadership consultant rather than a, just just a mindset one. So my own um, self-worth is catching up. Great. Whereas before I learned all this, so I think for the average person, the fear of not being good enough, it just sits as, no, I'm just not good enough. Mm. And not understanding that, no, it's not the truth. It's a belief and it can be changed and refined. That's the key distinction for me. Okay, nice distinction. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. Um, I, I, if, if you're happy to, I'd love to um, chat about your experience of being a single mum. Yep. Um, in that first and foremost, uh, you know, I have no idea how you do it. Given I know what our jobs are like and how intense that can be and how much it can grow arms and legs and you know you work in the world of client land it's pretty tough sometimes and you run your own business that's tough enough and you know all of this stuff that we're doing we're always looking at how am i complicit in all of this and on top of that you're a single mom to leo right how on earth do you balance cope survive and possibly breathe in all of that <laughs> um I balance my yin with my yang. Okay. Now, now talk <laughs> to Joe and Jane public in the street. What does that mean? <laughs> and that was my less etheric answer, actually. Yeah, right. um, <laughs> so, so, simplify. In ancient Chinese philosophy, most people, I think, are familiar with the yin-yang symbol, the black and white symbol. Yeah. Um, I've found this information over the last few years to be really useful just to distinguish between these two different parts. Yang is the white part of the symbol and it represents say, masculine energy. We all have both. It's not about gender, but it's masculine energy action usually. So attributes such as structure, order, assertion, um, outcome focused, usually more self-orientated, toxic might be aggressive, um, too forceful. That's the yang um, and is typically more revered in the West. Too much of it leads to burnout. Um, and I think in our culture, it's yes, you've achieved something. Oh, now you're worthy or you're, you're bit. We're all busy. It's that sort of fire energy. Um, the other aspect being the yin is the restorative, more feminine, um, patience, there's reflection, um, there's deep compassion for self and others. And I found over the years, I was so young for so long um, and, and celebrated and acknowledged in the business world, the job I've had over the years for that. But I found as the pressure's gotten bigger and now I have my son and uh, I'm the only one doing the school run, 
I find if I'm only in yang, I will make myself sick. I'll burn out. And so in order to balance that, I'm not interested in working weekends. Well, I can't because of Leo, but I also don't want to work evenings. My energy is no good then. I must have my own time. So I make sure I'm very yin. And by yin, I make sure the beginning of the day, I don't start work unless I've done my breathing. So I'm not coming from fight or flight as much as possible. So I tune into my instincts or intuition and my wisdom rather than reacting and also not coming from this sort of pressure or fear of growing the business. Like it's, it's going really well holistically and I have certain intentions. I used to put so much pressure on myself. You've got to hit this milestone in six months or hit this. And again, I think it's this quite sort of yang thing of what next, what's the next goal rather than it's great as it is. And it is growing and let's just relax. And you know, I've got a young, young child and enough on my plate. Yes, I have a big purpose and I, I want to have impact, but not with burnout. So that's, that's sort of starting to answer the question around how, how do I cope? And it's not just how do I survive, it's thriving. I really love life and um, I find a lot of joy in it as well. So it's not all burdensome. And I am, um, yeah. Hmm. Um. You, you know, I'm a parent too, and I've gone through that stage, albeit different scenarios. Uh, and what I'm interested in is how you then navigate that. That all sounds brilliant and sounds great. What a, what a lovely way to balance your yin and your yang. I'm going to guess that on occasions, Leo does not respect your yin and yang. <laughs> no, he fucking doesn't. And so how do you, how do, you do it then when your partner, the kids your friends, you know, other external relationships that you want to keep, you know, they're, they're important to you as he is, and he's not ready to balance his yin and yang at the same time as you are. How, how do you navigate that? Um, the two things come to mind. One is it comes down to 100% responsibility with, if I've sat and done some of my breathing and balanced my own brain chemistry, um, then when the little bugger won't put his shoes on for the school run and I've asked him six times, I'm less likely to lose my shit and do one of the five uh, anger, yeah. love lang <laughs> anger languages. Um, and oh my God, there's, there's nothing around the, the perfection of this with, I do my yin yang and it's all, per it's, it's and messy and I lose my shit, then I feel shame. Um, and then I apologize to him and he cries and I cry. Like there's that too. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there is more of the joy and the good stuff because of the balancing. So I think mm. your question about if other people aren't doing it, um, well, we don't wait for them or anyone else to look at their own <laughs> yin yang, so to speak. But I find I'm way more tolerant and contented in myself if I've made the effort to elevate my mindset, to reflect on any stresses or judgments I've got. And I tend to find people respond to where you are. So if I'm stressy or my not feeling good enough is showing up, they usually respond to that. Whereas if I'm in a quite a good, present, open-hearted place, that tends to be reflected back. So we have the choice, I'd say. Yeah, I've, I've said to people in the past that I, and it's definitely harder when we're on screens, but when we're in person, there there is this, inadvertent molecule exchange and so if you are calm dealing with a crying child it doesn't necessarily immediately stop and go oh mum you're calm haha <laughs> no but if there's a molecule exchange it tends to have that impact and as you were talking it, re it reminded me of um, something I heard from Brené Brown I'm sure you know not personally perhaps and she said you can't selectively numb emotion mm -hmm. and so are you saying there's some benefit in fully expressing either end of it because yes. the counter would be well if you can't selectively numb it i'm going to numb it all yep it's the emotional pendulum right it's the no i don't want to get angry ever that's not the the right thing to do so i'll if there's a pendulum so i'm just gonna <laughs> which way this pendulum going if rage is here i'm not feeling that so i'll go to here Problem is, joy is up this end. Mm. So you only get to joy if you go into rage or, or grief. 
But if it's like, that's too uncomfortable, so I'm going to, I'll go here. It means you can just hit there though. So that the range of the, the emotional pendulum, if you call it, yeah, is much more numb. So I am all for, and that's why I'm with my five-year-old. If he wants to scream the place down, I let him feel his feelings as much as possible. Mm-hmm. If he wants to express his rage or his sadness, um, it's too tempting to say, oh, don't cry, don't cry to a child. I think we've all done it. Yeah. And I, I think that can have a really big impact. And then as we're grown ups, it's, it's in there. Don't cry, don't cry. Mm. Um, why not? I think let it all hang out. It's so good for us. Mm. And the, the payoff is the other side of the pendulum where happiness, you know, happy for no reason can happen rather than happy because some external mm. thing has, has happened. Mm. So, yeah, I love that from Brené Brown. Yeah, I wonder how many people are suppressing and not letting mm. the pendulum swing a little bit. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, that's most people. Do we all do that? I mean, I think for the, for the most part, I think it's, it's the way of being at the moment. Mm. Hopefully things will keep shifting as we talk more about psychology and, and such. But... Um, Hence why I think I chatted about anger earlier as well. Um, And I've never been afraid to let Leo see see mummy's, I don't know what you'd call it, negative emotions. I don't think any emotion is negative, but when when I have lost my shit and Mm. then he gets upset. And when your child says, mummy, you're scaring me. And it's like, oh my God. But we sit and talk about it. And, And then it's the sitting and the, I'm sorry, um, you didn't deserve that. I love you and you're safe. And this is what happened. You didn't listen to me again and again. I felt disrespected. You didn't deserve it, but this is... So I think with our children, and with your partners, with anybody, um, colleagues, I mean, anger's a little different maybe, but at at Om Phoenix, Mm -hmm. we do our best to be authentic with each other. And sometimes it's really uncomfortable, but to apologize if I've been a bit harsh or to check in with someone who is a little snippy or passive aggressive and oh what's happening there should we it can be uncomfortable but I think that's how you have incredible connection and outcome <clears throat> fascinating um because we're recording a podcast and you know i'd love to chat longer um for any of the single parents out there listening can you give us the kind of Georgian public's top three tips for being a single parent? And I know that's crass to even suggest it's that simple. I'm not suggesting it's that simple, mm. but are there two or three principles that you come back to when you're trying to be centered and the best parent you can be? Mm. Okay. Um, three things one is if there's a practical yin thing around to sit and breathe even for 30 seconds you're less likely to react if you're under pressure with with your children or child Mm -hmm. number one number one breathe at number two and this is related actually self-care where you can rest again i think it's this culture of the kids are down i'm now going to tidy the house or i go back on my emails or i where you can self-care like have a bath or just but not just stick netflix on and still on the phone because we're not really restoring Mm. find like real um switch off self-care and number three would be self-forgiveness which I think this could be for most parents, any parent. Oh, there's my mama. Bye, mama. Letting back off the train station. Bye-bye. <laughs> um, is that we're all very hard on ourselves. And there's a, I hear the coin mum guilt a lot. The antidote to guilt is self-forgiveness. So it's the, and, and how um, I'm doing my best. I forgive myself. And that's all you need to say. I'm doing my best. I forgive myself. And you can lots on YouTube, different meditations around that. So I think it's the breathe, make spaciousness for self-care and forgive yourself for not being perfect. Four, find the joy in your child. 
Or is joy. <laughs> um, Jane, I think that's probably a perfect place to pause because uh, it's, it's hard for me to reconcile. I've not, I'm a parent, but I've never been a single parent. It feels like it sometimes when my wife goes away for the weekend or something, which seems ridiculous compared to someone like you who's living and breathing it and being the best Jane, daughter, mum, founder that you can possibly be. So it's, it's total and unconditional admiration for uh, anyone in your situation who's having to cope with anything less than what the average person seems to have. Thank you. And so thank you for sharing some of that wisdom. That's been, I'm sure, going to be very helpful for some, for some people. Um, a couple of things just to finish on. Where can people get a hold of you if they're interested? How can they connect with you? What, what, where Link, they LinkedIn. Go LinkedIn. Right. Okay. My, I think my name and Om Phoenix. If that's right. Can you spell Om Phoenix for us? Yeah. So O-M, yeah. Om, and then Phoenix, like the mythical bird. Right. Not, the, not the Garmin watch then no not that one right or oh, the city in uh, in uh, Arizona oh there you go Phoenix. Phoenix, Arizona. cool <laughs> and then just to kind of light questions hopefully the light um to, to end us with are you more um day or night day red or white wine red and you said you're from Manchester Mm -hmm. City or United? City. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> uh, north or South? North. <laughs> Similar. <laughs> a house or apartment? Apartment. Okay. Um, I know you're a reader. What's uh, what's a book that's changed your life? It'd be the first one I picked up on mindset. And for anyone who's been interested in stuff I've said, but might not have understood all of it, start with Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. 15 years ago, I picked that book up, Heal Your Life, Louise Hay, pioneer of mindset, the mind-body connection, and she advocates self-forgiveness. She's the grandmother of mindset. Well, that's a great recommendation. Jen, thank you so much for agreeing to be part of the podcast and probably more thank you for just being so vulnerable and sharing your experiences thank you thanks for having me <laughs> thanks